The Athletic. Last man standing. That's how Jurgen Klopp described himself on Monday. But why did he bring up his own future? And is Klopp untouchable or is patience starting to wear thin as Liverpool stare down a rebuild? I'm Ian Irving and this is the Athletic Football Podcast. The elephant in the room is probably, from your point of view, why I'm, why I am still sitting here in this crazy world, last man standing. Um, but I know as well, I'm still here because of what happened in the last few years. I don't like the fact that uh, that I pretty much have to rely on that. It's not even a, a subject for debate. His future amongst the vast majority of Liverpool fans, and certainly not for the owners between now and the summer. It's it's not blind faith. Jurgen Klopp's a great manager, of course, but even tonight. Liverpool are still trying to play like the Liverpool from three years ago and they've got a nil-nil out of it. You, you don't, you're scratching your head, how? We cannot just continue playing like we do from time to time. OK, joining me to discuss the longest-serving Premier League manager is The Athletic's German football correspondent and author of Das Reboot, Raffel Honigstein, and also Liverpool writer Kiva O'Neill. Kiva, I'll start with you. What will it take to convince you to ever watch Liverpool against Chelsea again? I'm never watching Chelsea-Liverpool ever again. I don't know why I was made to watch that, because I said on uh, the Walk On podcast that it'll probably end nil-nil, and here we are after the sixth nil-nil it just feels like so predictable. Liverpool lucky to get out of there alive with a point, I feel, just because first half pretty lacklustre, second half similar. Did they really offer anything in attack? They looked a little bit comedic almost in defence at times. Midfield getting walked through here and there. Did a bit of a job overall, but not really convincing from Liverpool again, but a point and a clean sheet. So I guess Klopp will take the positives where he can get them. And I think he called this a a little step and it really does feel like a baby step heading to Arsenal at the weekend. Yeah, a little step and okay, I think, were the two ways that he described it after the game, which pretty much sums it up, Raf, really, because it's nowhere near where Liverpool want to be still, is it? No, every time this season when you feel, ah, the real Liverpool are back, then there's a couple of games where you think, okay, they're definitely not back. And I think we've been looking for clues in those bigger games where by and large Liverpool have done okay up until the Man City game. I think they had the best record of all top six sides in in the mini-league. But um, Surprising that, wasn't it? It was surprising, but in a way maybe not because it reminds me of earlier versions of Liverpool where they you'd often do well against teams that had the ball and then it would play on the break and struggle against smaller sides that's been one of the themes in this league but now I guess that indifferent form is carried into those bigger games as well and they just can't quite raise their game and are so below their own standards and I've often felt that Liverpool are the kind of side that by their own admission, live off intensity and energy. And when that intensity and energy drops just a little bit, they seem to be more affected other top teams, which perhaps rely more on individual actions or their footballing ability to just play through those problems by just passing, passing, passing. Liverpool, the drop-off seems to be always slightly more severe than, than other top sides. The team selection last night, Kiva, as well, was a, a really eye-catching aspect of the match. No 
Salah, no Alexander-Arnold, no Robertson in the starting eleven. no Virgil van Dijk at all. We believe that he was ill. Uh, David Ornstein reported that on The Athletic. But what did you read into that team selection? Was it a reaction to City? Was it a preparation for Arsenal? Or was it something deeper than that? It did feel preparation for Arsenal, but in part, you know, the, it was sort of a shocking thing. No one really expected, given that Liverpool, you know, now only have 10 games to go. You think they can get, you know, the best out of those, the, the players that started against City. So it was a bit of, you know, half shock, half, I guess, Arsenal at the weekend and maybe Liverpool sort of having one eye on that a little bit. Obviously, Virgil van Dijk being ill is, you know, no problem, obviously, with that. I hope he, he gets better very soon. But I mean, he's even had a, a difficult season himself. So had he been dropped and he wasn't ill, you know, I don't think there would be too many massive questions. I think, you know, people would have probably thought that that was quite a bold thing to do from Klopp. Obviously, he brings the fullbacks out as well. I think Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold probably haven't been at their best this season. I mean, you can point at literally every Liverpool player, by the way, this season and say, apart from Alisson, I don't think anyone's coming out of this season with the reputation fully intact because it's just been one of those kinds of seasons. And then obviously Salah gets a rest as well. Jota plays on the right, but doesn't really do anything there. Probably looked a bit better when he did move central when Salah comes on later in the game. Curtis Jones get his, gets his second start of the Premier League season. He's not really played at all this season. I think had a bit of an injury struggle here and there and not been able to train as much as he'd want and that kind of thing. But it did feel like a big decision. Six changes from the team that Man City quite comfortably cruised past. What did you make, Raph, of him dropping literally the biggest name players from his starting eleven? Because the Chelsea match in itself was as important as the Arsenal game, wasn't it? Yes, but um, perhaps that showed his his view of Chelsea as opposed to Arsenal as an op- as, as an opposition. He maybe can get away with one or two more changes. I think it sent a very strong message that no one is untouchable, that reputation doesn't really count for much when you're having a poor season. Okay, we should reserve judgment when it comes to Van Dijk. If he was really not able to play, then it's a different story. But it did feel a bit like Klopp saying this is not good enough, even from, from the big names, and maybe you need a break. But I guess it was a gamble, if you if you want to call it that, that worked because he got the result and that then sends a strong message and keeps everyone maybe perhaps a little bit on their toes. It's, uh, it's a ploy that you can use as a coach, but it's, uh, it's a risky one. I would say in this case, it seemed to have worked. Yeah, and I guess we'll see how it goes against Arsenal to know the the true benefit of of rotating the team last night. Let's get into the the crux of this podcast then, and that's Jurgen Klopp and his Liverpool and his Liverpool future, which seems a bit weird to say even that sentence considering how well he's done at Anfield over the time. But it was actually Klopp that brought this to the fore, really, Rafa, on on Monday in his press conference. I was there, and it was one of those answers where you, you you're sort of looking down at your notepad, taking the notes. He starts talking about his own future and you look up and is he really talking about this but what did you make of all the 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 answers that he gave on his future unprompted at the start of the press conference well I mean you'd know better than me but from the quotes that I read it seemed to stem from a conversation about the managers who got fired yes and uh, as he was talking he probably realized oh you know there's there's one guy who hasn't been fired this season and and that's me and I think just that quip and just that line probably just amused him enough to to make that a subject. I don't think he was trying to send a very important message one way or the other. I think he was just stating the fact that he's still there 
And if you want kind of intimating that other clubs with other owners might have pulled the trigger at that point uh, and wouldn't have tolerated such a bad season. I mean, at Bayern, for example, uh, where they just fired Julian Nagelsmann and he would have been very familiar with the situation. Um, Nagelsmann was in second spot, quarterfinals of the Champions League, quarterfinals of the German Cup, one point behind Dortmund, and he gets the sack because Bayern feel the season is not really going where it should be going. By those standards, um, Klopp wouldn't have just been sacked this season, but probably a couple of seasons before as well. But things are different, and they're largely different because of Klopp having done things that perhaps have raised the club to a level where he's now trying to keep up with his own expectations rather than the club's. And he, of course, has owners who believe in him and who have basically made him by to a large extent the club itself Klopp and Liverpool are sort of indistinguishable and it's a different different dynamic so I don't think he was really he wanted to open his conversation about what's happening to him where he's going what's he planning to do I don't think he he wants to discuss this publicly I think he was just basically saying things are different and in one way he's making a compliment to Liverpool saying people are more realistic here and patient and they understand that sometimes you have a bad season, it probably tickled him enough to mention it uh, rather than trying to send a message. That That's how I read it. Yeah, it definitely started as a joke. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but when the questions kept coming, um, I guess he probably wished he hadn't made the joke because you, you don't want to make it a, th- a topic then... Um, you've just made it a topic, I suppose. What was the what was the local sort of fans' reaction to it, Kiva? That you, that you saw? I think they took it as a joke and sort of laughed it off as well. I mean, Jurgen Klopp, you've you know he's been at Liverpool eight, eight years now this year, so obviously fans are quite sort of in on his jokes and how he sort of words things. So sometimes I think you know if he's here in a couple of years' time, approaching his decade at Liverpool, then, you know, he'll be singing Elton John's I'm still standing, won't he, rather than last man standing. And it does feel like he, he does that at times, just makes those those little jokes. And I think it was a sort of making a point as well, that, you know, FSG, I've been patient with him. He, I think he said that last night after the game too, in terms of the pressure has been on Liverpool this season and will remain on Liverpool. But in terms of singularly sort of focusing on Klopp, it hasn't really been there. And I don't think it, it will be this season. I mean, if this sort of slide continues and we're deep into next season and Liverpool are playing the same kind of football that Jürgen Klopp said himself, he couldn't understand watching them at the Etihad, which must be baffling and perplexing for him to, to watch a team. And he's been telling them, you know, for these tactical tweaks and to do this and that. And he's watching them and they don't look like the team that he's been talking to and training and, and working with for so long. And this is where the parallels with Dortmund become interesting because uh, to a lot of people in Germany with a cursory glance, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've seen this before. You know, the team can't take it anymore. It's too intense. He's sort of squeezed them like a lemon and that's just it. I think he's aware of these problems and and possibilities that maybe he's, he's asking a lot of this team. Unlike at Dortmund, though, he's in a position a little bit like Ferguson was, he doesn't have to adjust to the team if the team can't no longer do it. He'll just change the team. And I think we see now a season where half the team has changed, or let's say a third, but it's not quite enough. I think they need more wholesale changes. I think he realized it. I think he didn't 
uh, probably appreciate that uh, somebody like Fabinho would have such a poor season as a key player, which then exacerbates problems in midfield, which perhaps weren't so acute with Fabinho solving so many of those problems before. And suddenly the midfield looks very old and creaky and, and weak. And of course, without that midfield, Liverpool can't function because this midfield is 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 very different to City's midfield in terms of what they do with the ball. But they are the kind of the key conduit to uh, both the aggression going forward and being able to uh, do enough to protect the back four. And because that section of the team isn't functioning properly everything else looks quite labored and looks a little bit slow and looks a little bit sloppy and it all comes down to that I think but he is luckily in a position where he says okay if this doesn't work anymore if these players can't do it anymore I don't have to change my ideas I don't have to change my system Uh, the club don't have to change manager I'm just going to change change the team and I think that's where the success will come again for Liverpool by just freshening things up Jamie Carragher made exactly the same point after the match last night that that things need to change in terms of the personnel at, at Liverpool to get back to playing how they used to play effectively because he, he was sort of making the, the point that at City and, and against Chelsea, Liverpool were being asked to play the same way as they were previously, yet the players now can't do it, whatever that reason might be. Kiva, how much do you think Jurgen Klopp is to blame for Liverpool's problems? Because we pointed the finger at the midfield, like we're just doing now, actually, at, at Mohamed Salah's drop-off, at Virgil van Dijk's issues. How much of it is Klopp? I think he'd own up and collectively take on some of the blame, I think, this season as well. And he has done. You know, at times he sort of defended his players from that and said, you know, point your finger at me but no one really has and that's because he's got so much credit in the bank and yeah. the, he will remain at Liverpool and fans absolutely adore him I think there was a point in the season I can't remember when it was it was not long ago might have been the start of January when Liverpool just were, were losing games for fun and there was sort of a, a moment when everyone sort of gone oh is Klopp under pressure and we sort of all started asking each other and looking around and is Klopp under pressure that kind of thing and no he's not was pretty much the answer and I think there was sort of a bit of a thing on social media where that question was being asked a little bit by some people and then straight away millions it felt like of Liverpool fans were just like absolutely not Jürgen Klopp is everything to Liverpool and that's because Liverpool are putting the trust in him like they have and he's brought so much success over the past few seasons the Liverpool fans still believe that he's the person to do it again but the job he's facing now is difficult because, like Rafa mentions there, it's the rebuild. It's how much FSG are willing to back him this summer when they probably haven't backed him enough in terms of transitioning this team into the next team. And that needs to happen because, like he's, like Rafa says as well, you're watching a team maybe not capable anymore of playing the Egan Clock way. And he's not going to, you know, he'll make tweaks here and there, but he's not going to change his whole ideology of football because that's just, I don't think that's what he's going to do, even though you know people want different formations and different ways of playing. I think he adapts a lot and will tweak things. And again, I think there would have been a question mark around his lineup last night had that not come off and Liverpool got a point. And I think against City, he waited till the 70th minute to make four changes when the game is already gone. So I think there's definitely points where fans will poke at and think, you know, is, is that good enough? But again, this is just a weird season and I think everyone kind of just wants it to be over already. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, we're going to take a look back then at his time at Dortmund, Rafa, to give us an idea of the task ahead for Jurgen Klopp, the rebuild of Liverpool, and understand maybe a little bit more about the problems that they're facing at the moment. Do you see any similarities? You did mention before that there was some parallels to draw between how it went at Dortmund and how it's going now at Liverpool. Yeah, the parallels, I think, are... They shouldn't be overstretched, over but uh, it definitely was the case towards his last season, maybe the season before, that Dortmund didn't quite have the same intensity, quite the same cohesion uh, without the ball and do the kind of stuff that made them so special. They looked a little bit on running on empty. Internally, at the time, Dortmund blamed the fact that uh, some of these players had won the World Cup and perhaps came back slightly less hungry and slightly less willing to play the clock way. But the big difference is that, you know, he missed the Champions League in that last season, having briefly flirted with relegation um, quite ridiculously before they bounced back. And then at that point, it became clear that if Dortmund wanted to change, the only way to change was actually the manager because they couldn't change the team. They couldn't freshen things up. They didn't have the money to do it, having missed out on the Champions League or were in the process of missing out on the Champions League. So even Klopp kind of understood the logic and says, well, if this is the case then it's probably best if I leave. And I think that's where things are so different with Liverpool because you can see that, A, this hasn't come as a surprise to them because they've already made huge steps forward to refreshing the attacking department. Uh, the transition arguably has already happened. Yes, Salah is still there, but everyone else is is kind of a new player already, or newish player. They're much younger than than the front three that we had and. Uh, five six years ago, uh, maybe it's time for Salah to move on as well. I think that's something that they'll they'll probably discuss to to free up uh, maybe extra extra money. I see Kiva's is making faces there, not really enjoying <coughs> this, uh, where this is going. Liverpool don't have uh, any backup for Mohamed Salah, so get someone in and see how it goes. Because Jota played there last night and didn't look comfortable. Liverpool are so heavily stocked up on left-sided and players that can cut in centrally. They don't really have anyone. You can go right to the academy and you have to pick players from there like Ben Doak to sort of be an out-and-out right winger. So I think that's an area Liverpool definitely do need to look at. Yeah. But just to, to just to finish the point, I feel that because he's learned from his... You can't even call it mistakes because he's learned from how things have gone in the past and... He has more experience and he understands, I think, the need to to keep evolving the team. You can't do the same thing with the same players. You either have to change your methods or you have to change the team. You can't keep both going indefinitely. I think he has learned the lessons. I think where things have fallen, fallen short a little bit is the implementation. I think we've been saying all season that they definitely should have had at least one midfielder coming in. Again, I come back to Fabinho, I think... Nobody could have expected him to drop off so so much. It's a bit like, you know, having the prime 
N'Golo Kante suddenly not playing football anymore and you're thinking, what you know, what, what was happening in this team, both for France and for Chelsea, he has that much of an impact, I think. And Klopp will, I think, will make good use of that credit that he has and not just said, okay, uh, I'm invincible here, I can do whatever I want and uh, I decide when I leave. I think he does feel the pressure that he sets himself. He does feel... The responsibility, I think it hurts him that Liverpool fans are having a bad time, that the team are not happy, that you have probably a bad vibe in training when you lose those games and they're not fighting for the big trophies as they were used to, well, only 10 months ago. So he will draw the right conclusions and then it comes down to either finding an ingenious solutions internally, like promoting the likes of Stephen Bajcetic, who I don't know if Kiva was very familiar with him, but... I certainly had no idea this guy existed until a couple of months ago. And suddenly he's somebody who you might see starting in the future. Or if that's not the case, if there's not enough quality coming through, finding external solutions. In terms of his time at Dortmund, Rafa, just to home in on this point, he had seven years there, obviously huge success, two German titles, a German Cup, Champions League finalists, wrestling against Bayern's dominance um, in the Bundesliga. How much was that a build from Klopp, like at Liverpool, or was it a rebuild at times? How did it go exactly? No, when he came, they built a new team. It wasn't all down to him. They had a very clever sporting director and Michael Zorg, um, that people like Sven Mislintat, who found players that nobody had heard of, like Shinji Kagawa, for example, in the, in the Japanese division, second division, I think, even at the time. So it was a combination of his, his coaching his eye for a player, the club being very smart on the transfer market and building this ethos, this connection with the team, with the, with the crowd, with the city of Dortmund. But all the things that he's done again at Liverpool, that's why a lot of people felt that it was such a perfect fit because the, the job was in many ways similar. The big difference is that Dortmund hit their ceiling very quickly. They couldn't keep players like Lewandowski and Götze who suddenly would earn three or four times as much money elsewhere. They couldn't uh, rebuild and buy, you know, a 70 million euro player to supplement what was already a, a top striking partnership or 100 million euro striker. You know, we're talking about a completely different situation. So I think Klopp, without letting on, actually had a really hard time trying to keep the team competitive when they were fighting against the financial constraints in, in a much more acute way than Liverpool are. Liverpool have largely through Klopp's success, risen to a level where they can keep these players, where they can buy players for 100 million euros. And where, you know, we're talking about a very different type of, of building that uh, the kind of tools at your disposal are, are much more expensive and allow you much more leverage to, to salvage the situation. So I think that's another reason why we don't see that tiredness and perhaps that sense of I've come as far as I have that kicked in at Dortmund. I think he realized that there wasn't really anything he could do with this Dortmund team that he hadn't done already. I think with Liverpool, even this season when I've talked to him, I get the sense that he f is still very hungry. He doesn't want to leave on a low. He wants to win stuff again. I think he feels that the team with a few tweaks is able to to win big games, to win big trophies. And it seems to me that the 
the appetite for for that challenge outweighs sort of any fears or frustrations that things aren't happening at the moment. I think it's quite funny that Liverpool's re-emergence could depend on Jürgen Klopp signing a Borussia Dortmund player, something he's never done at Liverpool in, obviously, Jude Bellingham. It's quite funny, isn't it? Because it's something, I don't know if Rafferty's like actually actively never signed a Dortmund player for a reason, even on loan. But when managers move to clubs, you always think, oh, you know, they might sign and they've got that connection. Jürgen Klopp's never really used that connection at Liverpool. So maybe, you know, he can use it in the summer. And that could be the one thing that actually does kick on, you know, Liverpool's re-emergence and Klopp 2.0, part two, whatever you want to call it. It's a good point. Of course, the news agenda this week has been dominated by the managerial merry-go-round with the sackings of Potter and Rodgers. It was Antonio Conte just a week before. In fact, this whole Premier League season has been exactly like that. We understand that Klopp won't be sacked anytime soon. James Pearce has written that on The Athletic. But Kiva, do you think there's a chance that the Liverpool board are starting maybe to consider life after Klopp? It's an interesting question, that, isn't it? Because how much do clubs think about that? And with Jürgen Klopp being such a an iconic figure at Liverpool. He's a, a legend. He's almost just like Shankly, Paisley, uh, Daglish. It's That is in itself a massive job and something Liverpool fans definitely don't want to think about in terms of, you know, the end of the Egg and Klopp era. And I don't think it is going to be that. And I, I just wonder how much, whether Rafa, you've got any thoughts on how much can boards think into that? Because right now, I think Jürgen Klopp is absolutely safe give it early next season if Liverpool don't carry on moving up the table in the way that they want to be and challenging again. That question might be different, but right now I feel like he's completely safe. But how much can you look around and go, well, we like that manager and that kind of thing? I don't, I don't really think that is it. Is it can it be a thing? I, I don't see Liverpool looking at other managers at this point. I think that would send send a, a bad message and probably doesn't wouldn't rec- reflect their thinking. I mean, I think it'd be a good time to maybe look at the long-term succession plan if there is such a thing. You will know better than me, but I guess Pep in line this perhaps doesn't quite have the the same reputation and standing that he had perhaps a year ago as far as a possible contender to succeed Klopp is concerned. Uh, it seems to me that his star has waned a little bit. At least that's the outside perception. Klopp will decide whenever he leaves himself. Unless, and I agree with you, unless there's another disastrous season where they are in danger of missing the Champions League, I think at that point Liverpool have to say, look, Klopp, we love you, but if we don't play Champions League, it's going to be very hard to keep the squad together. And this is a squad that should be challenging for the Champions League, let alone playing it, and we have to do something here. So I would say the pressure would be very high next season to show that this was just a blip rather than a down the start of a downward trajectory. So far in Klopp's seasons, it's always, in Klopp's um, tenure, it's always been like that, that we've had individual poor seasons, but then they bounced right back and were among the best sides and won big trophies. They had that poor season after winning the league, uh, where we all thought that maybe COVID was one of those, the reasons, uh, you know, the lack of energy from empty stadiums seemed to affect them more than others. And then they bounced back to have this fantastic campaign but yeah I think that the stakes will be higher next season but Klopp will will relish that and just to to stress the point I think he he will not want to leave thinking 
there's so much more that we can do with this team. I think he'll only want to leave if he feels that's it. I've sort of done it here and there's not much more I can do, but I don't get the sense from him. Okay, we wait and see then what the future holds for Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp. But remember, you can hear more about the Reds by listening to Walk On, the Athletics' dedicated Liverpool podcast. But for the moment, that's it, and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. The Athletic.